David and Jonathan's son, Mesobeth, who was a cripple. And David's interaction with this young man and what he did for him, what he did not have to do, but out of grace, out of goodness of heart, he did wonderful things for this young man who had nothing. In fact, Mesobeth responded, Am I a dead dog? I'm just a dead dog. And yet, you've done all these wonderful things for me. And this is an example of God's grace bestowed upon us. We, don't, we can't earn it. We can't deserve it. This morning, we turn a corner, and we're going to look at dreams and goals and visions. Have you ever had a dream to do something? Ever had something that you wanted to accomplish? Ever felt something like that God was telling you exactly what, you, what he wanted you to do, only to discover that that wasn't it, only to discover that it didn't come to fruition uh, whatsoever? That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, I'm asking that you'd help me to share your word and make it applicable to our lives this Sunday in September. We've uh, looked at David, this young man, a shepherd, faced a huge giant, killed him, thrust into public ministry, on the run as a fugitive, and then all of a sudden Saul dies and he's elevated to become king. And during this period of time, you blessed him and you brought the northern and southern kingdoms together and you expanded the borders of Israel a hundredfold and you brought economic prosperity and revival. And uh, we've learned so much about him and about scriptural principles from his life. We ask this morning that you'd help us to learn another principle, maybe two or three. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. I heard about this lady. There was this lady that died and went to heaven, and she was standing at the pearly gates, and she met St. Peter. She met St. Peter. And St. Peter said, uh, in order to get to heaven, you've got to spell a word. You've got to spell a word. She said, what word? He said, any word that you want. She said, okay, love, L-O-V-E. And St. Peter said, welcome into heaven. And then he said to her, you know, I've got to leave for just a moment. Could you uh, guard the gate here, and could you do the very thing if another person comes along that I did with you? And so a few moments later, she saw her husband walking toward the pearly gates, her ex-husband walking toward the pearly gates. <laughs> she said, what are you doing here? He said, I had a heart attack. I can't believe it. I made it in heaven. She said, not yet. She said, you've got to spell a word. He said, what? She said, you've got to spell a word. What word? And after a very, very long pause, she said, Czechoslovakia. <laughs> uh, I know. There's, that's a lot better than last week. I know that. <laughs> you should have been here last week. No one laughed at all. Instead of retail, I said we tell. <laughs> You'd have to hear the message. Anyway. <laughs> you know, it's true, though. We all face tests. We all face tests. And perhaps the most difficult test that we have all faced is feeling as though the Lord has told us to do something, that we're going to accomplish something, and never, ever seeing it come to fruition. Never seeing it come to fruition. And this is where we find 
David at this particular morning. When one of my children were learning how to ride a bicycle, you guys remember that, his parents? When your little toddler was learning how to ride a bicycle, I, my oldest son, he said, Daddy, take off the training wheels. Take off the training wheels. So, so I took off the training wheels. So the next couple of days, he was riding around the little area that we lived in. And then he said, Daddy, can we go up there? Up there was a place called Sonora Knolls. It was a flat area where they were building some houses. It had a steep part to it. And then uh, uh, up the hill, and then, of course, had a big, long downhill. And so I went up there for a couple of days in a row on the flat part with him, riding his little bicycle alongside. And finally he said, Daddy, can we go up there to the top? And I said, no, that's not a good idea. And he kept after me. He said, Daddy, can we go up there? Can we go up there? And I said, okay, let's go up there. So we pushed his bike up to the, the top. And then he said, Daddy, would it be okay if I rode back down the hill? And I said, no, no, that's not a good idea. Oh, Daddy, please, please, Daddy, let me ride back down the hill. I said, okay, but remember you, how to use your brakes. You've got to use your brakes. Put on your brakes, and I'll, I'll walk and run beside you here because we don't want you to go too fast. And as soon as he started going down the hill and picked up momentum and picked up speed, he forgot about his brakes. Isn't that something how little kids do that? He forgot how to use his brakes, and he panicked. And he got, he got to going so fast that he passed me up, and I couldn't keep up with him. And there was a hairpin corner at the bottom down there, and all of a sudden he went off the edge of the road into gravel and into the brush. Thank the Lord he wasn't seriously injured, but he was cut up and scratched, and he was crying. He was crying. Every parent uses their bread and butter word, no. Isn't that true? Every parent uses the bread and butter word, no. It may be uh, we're saying, no, don't touch that hot stove, hot stove. Don't touch that hot stove. Or it may be, you know, I don't want you to swallow that marble. Don't put a marble in your mouth. No, 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 no. Or it may be uh, riding a bicycle down a steep hill, and we're saying, no, 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 no. Don't do that. And they crash their bike anyway. Now, no is not always a reprimand given to stop a child from harm. And I want you to think about anything that you've ever wanted to accomplish in your life, anything, any God-given dream or any dreams you had, any so-called broken dreams, and you think about that, and you think of those times, and you felt like it was a plan of God for your life, only to have it stopped, and God the Father revealed to you in some way, that's not my plan. And maybe it's a noble purpose, Maybe it's selfless. Maybe it will benefit a bunch of other people. And you feel like you've got the green light to only later on hear in some sort of fashion away God saying, no, that's not my plan for your life. And David had to learn this the hard way. It was very difficult. And I want to set the scene of our story in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Did you know that David was, he's been involved in a lot of stressful situations. This young man was running as a fugitive for seven and a half years. He led a nomadic lifestyle from caves to mountaintops to deserts. And Saul finally died and David becomes the king of a relatively small area. And then after seven and a half years of being king over that area, the tribes, all the leaders of the tribes said, you're, you're, we want you to be king over all of us. And he united all the kingdom and he was still fighting all of these battles and all of these particular people, especially the Philistines. And he was, you might want to say, harassed and harangued and he was stressed out in his life from this moment to this moment to this moment for for uh, 15 to 20 years he just would have went from one for one one particular thing after another but now he's got an interlude 
He's got an interlude. And uh, his family just moved into a new home. And I want you to look at verse 1 with me. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest, notice, rest, from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a palace of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. First of all, I want you to notice that David had domestic support. You know, he's married all these wives. We talked about all these wives, and he has all these children. But there's a time when they moved in this new palace where it was they could have written shalom over the fireplace. It was peace. And his wives had peace among themselves. A miracle. Not just between she and David, but among the wives themselves. And remember, he had a lot of wives and had a lot of children. And I imagine the children were playing in their individual rooms in this big, huge palace and his wives were contented and doing something somewhere else and David is sitting by the hearth someplace. He has domestic peace and we read that there's national peace here as well. All of his enemies had been killed or destroyed and all of this commerce is coming in and all of this wealth is coming into his, his the particular country and, and he's got a He's got a quiet moment. He's got a moment of interlude. He's got a moment of, of deep reflection. He's having a still time in a safe place. And David did not know this peace very often because often his life was filled with full of domestic and national unrest. And, uh, and David began to reflect during this peaceful interlude. He began to reflect about the different things that were happening around him in his beautiful home and, and his children and his family and we talked last week about how he he remembered the promise he made to Mesobeth and, and, and through Jonathan. And, and, uh, and all of a sudden, he begins to talk about a dream that he has to Nathan. Nathan. This is the first time that Nathan the prophet is introduced in the Bible. He's a close friend. He's a confidant. He's a prophet. In fact, he's the same man who would later point to David and said, You're an adulterer. You committed sin against God Almighty. So David calls him in and says to Nathan, look at it with me one more time, verses 2 and 3. He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in this palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in the tent. And Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, notice, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. Well, that's a good friend, isn't it? Good friends encourage us. They pat us on the back. He's a good friend. He's a counselor. He pats him on the back. He says, whatever you have in your heart and mind, whatever you feel like God's convinced you to do, whatever dream you have, go for it. Do it. We have friends like that that pat us on the back. We have pastors and we have other people. That's a good friend. And that's exactly what he was. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we saw that David brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And he brought it to the tabernacle area. And while he's contemplating about his new house he's saying there's no house for god there's no place for god to worship in we've got this temporary place we've got this tent and we need to build a house of god we need to build a temple area that god almighty can be worshiped in and this is the thought that came to his mind and this is the dream that was planted in his brain and all of a sudden the prophet came along and said do it go for it it's a good thing that you want to do it's fitting it's not fitting that the king live in this lovely house and there's no home for the Ark of the Covenant, for the very presence of God dwelt among God's people. 
And, you know, church, it, it's true. It's often during the quiet moments. It's often during the still time in the safe place. It's often during those interludes where we feel God's presence and we feel his smile upon us and uh, we feel peace in our lives. We get away from the hectic and the hubbub of whatever it may be that we seek God and we get some sort of new direction. We get some sort of new dream in our life or whatever it may be. And we think, that's it. That's exactly it. God wants me to do this or what, this and this or this or whatever it may be. Now listen. And often that's the case. And that's true. However, when you pull away from the so-called rat race and you pull away from the having your nose to the grindstone and, and you feel peace... It doesn't always mean that every dream that you dream is necessarily from God. Not even admirable dreams, not even selfless dreams, not even dreams that would expand the kingdom of God and glorify God. Not all dreams, perhaps, are from God. And, um, and even though we have Christian friends that might affirm us and pat us on the back. I went to a small Christian college in Portland, Oregon, it was just right for me. I was a new Christian. Uh, uh, I was 19 years old when I gave myself to the Lord completely, fully, and He saved me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, and I felt as though I wanted to serve Him. So as a 19-year-old, I got a chance to go to the small Christian college in Portland, Oregon. It was just right for me. I needed a small environment. I needed people that would pour their lives into me, and I had that kind of experience. It was a hothouse experience. And I had wonderful professors and wonderful teachers. And one of them was a godly man by the name of Dr. Milo Chapman. And Dr. Chapman uh, had been the president of that college, and now he was retired and he taught a religion class, one or two a semester. And so he had a group of us preparing for pastoral ministry. We're sitting around the table there. And he said, fellas, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story. He said there was a farmer that went out to farm one particular day and this farmer kept praying about God's will for his life and he kept praying Lord lead me direct me what do you want me to do with my life and all of a sudden there in the clouds were three letters that appeared GPC GPC and the farmer said I know what the Lord wants me to do go preach Christ go preach Christ so he rented out his farm to the next door neighbor he sold a lot of things, and he went to the local Bible college. And you know what he did? He failed miserably. He barely passed his classes. He couldn't preach. He couldn't teach. He didn't have any calling on his life whatsoever. And he got really angry and upset. And he went back out to his fields. And one day he was having this conversation with the Lord. And he said, GPC, go preach Christ. I did everything you wanted me to do, Lord. And he heard an audible voice from God that said, not go preach Christ, go plow corn. And I would be the first to say that it's very, very difficult at times, especially when we feel God's presence and especially when we feel God's anointing and especially when we feel God's leading and especially when all the precepts of God's scripture lines up and especially when all the circumstances line up and especially when we have pastors and counselors around us and especially when it's selfless and especially when it helps advance the kingdom of God, I would be the first to say, hey, I, I, I would not be the person to say that is not God's will because all of those things that we look for Line up, but it just may not be. And in David's particular 
case, God says to him, you're not going to be the one to do this. Now, we go to, we, we, we have a still time in a safe place, or we go to a camp, or at a church service, or a chapel service, and you ask for direction, and you pray, and you look through Scripture, and you said, that's it, that's my commitment, that's where I'm going, and you slow down, and you have a still time in a safe place, and God again speaks to you, you feel like, and you get a new direction, you get a new dream, you get a new, new insight. But listen, sometimes the new direction is from God, and sometimes it is not from God. And both, perhaps, are noble, both are great resolves, both are ideals, but listen, when it's not from God, it just won't come to fulfillment. It just won't. It just won't come to fruition, nor should it. And um, and this is what Nathan the prophet says to David. Remember, back to Scripture, he says, Go, verse 3, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. He's with you. And all of a sudden, God speaks to the prophet Nathan. And look at verses 4 and 5. That night the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? It's a rhetorical question. And the answer is no. David, it's a good idea. It will bring glory to me. It's selfless. It will help expand my kingdom. It's a wonderful dream. But you're not the one that's going to build the temple for me. It's not your turn to do that. And in verses 8 through 13, the passage of Scripture that Pastor Brad read earlier, God said, in my paraphrase, this is my paraphrase, this is Pastor Ron's paraphrase, David, I've appointed you to be king. You've got certain gifts and you've got certain abilities. You are a soldier. You're a warrior. You've been in the trenches. You have helped expand the borders of Israel. You've fought all of these enemies. It is not your time. It is not your gift. It is not your ability to build the temple. It's a wonderful dream. It's going to come, that dream, through your son. And it did. Solomon was appointed by God to build a temple. Now, again, I would be the first to say, you ask, you seek, you pray, you read Scripture, you make sure that Scripture principles line up, you get the counsel of other people, you ask if it's selfless, you ask to help expand the kingdom of God, and sometimes the Lord gives you a green light, and sometimes He'll give you a red light, and He'll say, absolutely not, and He'll say, no, no. If I've learned anything over the years about God's will, you cannot package God's will. There are precepts and there are principles, but His logic is not our logic. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 8, which is a parallel passage, God says to David, You did well that that was in your heart to build a temple for me. And rather than seeing that this is a negative, rather than seeing that this is a disobedient act to build a temple as, as something wrong, God says to him, I commend you. I pat you on the back for the very thought that you had to do this. For your heart is so sensitive to me. 
and you want to build the, the, the temple for me, you don't want to put your name on the temple. It's for my glory, and it's, it's, it's for my worship. Now, if you've ever said, by God's grace, I'm going to prove this, and sincerely thought that God led you, and here it is, years later, and it hasn't come about, some people will lay a guilt trip on you. It's true. Some people lay a guilt trip on you. You miss God's will. You said this and this, and God said this and this to you, and God led you this and this and this, and it, it's never come to fruition. They'll lay a guilt trip on you. Now, I've talked with all kinds of people who have said, with every good intention, this is God's will. And they have it all mapped out, and they're absolutely convinced, but it did not transpire. They feel like a failure. They feel guilty, and they allow this guilt to bombard them and hit them by other people. But have you ever thought that you are not? You're not a failure? And perhaps you weren't being disobedient? And instead of being reprimanded, perhaps God is patting you on the back for your motive and for your desire to do whatever you felt like He wanted you to do. This leads me to what I'm talking about up here. When God tells us no, when He tells us no, of refusal of the request, like He told David no, it's not God rejecting you. Rather, it's God redirecting you. He's not rejecting you. If your motive is right, your motive is fair, he's not, re he's not rejecting you. A lot of people say, well, I, I, you know, I don't want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do whatever, and I, I feel so bad, and I, I miss God's will, and I must be a disobedient person, and, 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 I, and I want to know what... No, he's not rejecting you. He often is using that no to redirect you. And just like in the case of David, perhaps you have different gifts and you have different abilities. David was a totally different person from his son Solomon. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. David was a warrior. David was a fighter. David was in the trenches. David had to fight all these battles and God used him. But he did not want him to build his temple because he had a different plan for David's life. And so instead of reprimanding him, instead of being down on him, instead of telling him that he's a worthless person or a bad person, we have to remember that when God says no to us, often he's not uh, reprimanding us. He's, he's uh, redirecting our lives and he's helping us. The second thing is that God desires us to listen carefully. God desires to listen carefully from day to day. He wants us to listen carefully from day to day. Not just go back to some decision and say, that's it forever regardless. Have you ever heard people say that? That's it for regardless of whatever. You know, you know you're, you're, some of you are going to disagree with me perhaps, but I think that there are some people who are called to be missionaries who do not have a lifetime calling. I think that you can be a missionary for 10 or 15 years and God can lead you to do something else in pastoral ministry or some sort of administration or whatever it may be. Isn't that something? And yet often we don't understand that when we're talking and we're conversing and we're listening with God and we're having this conversation with Him and we say it's forever, forever, forever. 
God doesn't drop a sheet down from heaven and he doesn't say to us point one, point two, point three. I know it's comfortable and we wish that would happen and we knew that we wish we had it all, but we have to depend upon God on a daily basis. Jesus said, abide in me and I'll abide in you. Where do we get this idea that we have all our life mapped out for us? In fact, I'm going to tell you something. If you were to look back at my life and in your life, you would see that your life, instead of resembling a straight line, it resembles a pinball machine. Here and here and over here and over here. Man makes his plans, the Bible says, but God's the one that directs. And number three, here's the third principle I want to share with you this morning. God's no means he has a better plan means he has a better plan and he expects us to support it with grace and humility. He expects us to support it with grace and humility. And this is very, very difficult to do. That passage of scripture that Pastor Brad got through reading tells us that after David heard the news that he was not going to be the person to build the temple, he, his knees got like jello. And he just fell down where he was at. He couldn't believe it. Perhaps he was in his bedroom. Perhaps he was still next to the hearth. And he just threw up his hands. And his knees got like jello. And he fell down. He couldn't believe it. If you're a young person and you know and you desire and you and you know that you're going to go to this certain college and you put those applications in there and that's the college for you and there's no other and it doesn't work out, what are you going to do? You have to accept it with grace and humility. Let me tell you something. Senior adult, listen, this is important. This is very important. You have your freedom. You have your freedom. You enjoy your house. You enjoy your children, perhaps, if they live nearby. But if there ever comes a day where you need assisted care, maybe it's not now, but if there ever comes a day where you need assisted care, are you going to accept that with grace and humility? Are you going to kick and fight like I've seen a lot of seniors do? There are many, many things that are not God's will for us. And we have to accept these things with grace and humility. We plan. We plan our future. And yet, it doesn't always come like we plan. What was David's response after he found out that he wasn't going to be the one to build the temple? Well, it says in verse 18, look at it with me. Then David the king went and sat before the Lord. As I said, he just sat down. And he said in verse 18, this is a beautiful. He's had a blow. And notice his response. Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that has brought me, that thou hast brought me? thus far. You know what David was saying? God, who am I? 
you bless me. Even if I don't get an opportunity to build the temple and my son will build it, who am I? I was a shepherd boy. I was a nobody. I was a nothing. And you elevated me to become the king of Israel. And you helped me defeat Goliath the giant. And you helped me become a commander in Saul's army. And I married one of the most beautiful women in the whole kingdom, Michael, Saul's daughter. And yes, I was on the run for all these years. But Lord, here I am now in this beautiful palace. And I'm a blessed man. Who am I? Who am I? I'm 60 years old and have cancer. Who am I to say that I haven't had a blessed life? I've had a beautiful wife and children. I've got to work and I've got to play and I've got to see beautiful parts of the country and I felt God's hand of mercy upon me all of my life. Who am I? The greatest thing that we can ever do is to accept God's no. If it's a definite no, with grace and humility. Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, you call every one of us to be faithful and to submit to your will. And I don't know who I'm speaking to this morning, and I don't know how this applies to lies, but truly, if it, the truth were to be known, some of us, just some of us, maybe not all of us, but some people feel like their dreams are broken. And God's will seems so direct and clear. We had hoped that this would happen. We prayed about it. We made our plans to go in a certain direction. But, Lord, you said no. Or wait. I, I guess the important question is, are you willing to go in another direction? Are you willing to say 